Hi there, I'm Sue Alves from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 176. And today I am going to be talking about how children learn. I have a couple of stories to share with you and also I will just make a few comments along the way. So you might know if you listened to last week's episode that I'm doing a new podcast series. I am taking some of the stories out of my book Curious and Schoolers and I'm pairing them up with some stories from my blog on similar topics. Yes, each week I'm going to be sharing a story from a different section of Curious Unschoolers and then I'm heading over to my blog to find another story on the same topic. And last week I spoke about starting unschooling and this week we're up to the section called How Children Learn. But before I get into the stories, I will just share a little bit of news, things that have been happening around here. If you want to bypass the news section, I will be dividing this episode up into chapters. If you listen to my podcast using an app that supports podcast chapters, you can skip ahead to whichever section of the episode that most interests you. So I'm hoping you haven't heard the stories that I'm going to share with you today. But if you have and don't want to hear them again, it's quite easy just to click over the story and move on into another part of the episode. But for those people who are interested in hearing a little bit of news, this is the news section. I'm recording this on a Friday morning. I did say in my last episode that I was going to plan ahead and maybe get my recording done a little bit earlier in the week. And I did that. I sat down yesterday and I recorded this episode. But for some strange reason, I got a funny noise in my audio file. It sort of stuttered a little bit and I couldn't use it. So I'm sitting here on a Friday morning trying again. I really do hope that it works this time. It's going to be a busy day getting the recording done and then the editing and getting it up online before the end of the day. And I want to do that if possible because you might remember that I was interviewed for the Homeschooling Global Summit And that's happening this week and next week online. It's a free event. All you need to do is register to have access to the interviews. All kinds of interviews from all kinds of people involved in homeschooling and unschooling and also school reform. Now my interview goes live tomorrow Australian time. So if you are in the Northern Hemisphere, it will go live on Friday. But for us, the first two sessions of my interview are scheduled for 1am and 9am Australian Eastern Standard Time. I got an email this morning from the person who interviewed me and also another person who is organising the summit to ask if I will be available online 
at either 1am or 9am or for both sessions to answer questions and to get involved in the chat because this year the interviews are interactive. Everybody who watches has a chance to ask questions, to make comments about the interviews. The interviews that I've been watching haven't been aired live. None of the interviews are live. They are all pre-recorded. But I guess the idea is that at certain times, if everybody watches them together, the person that was interviewed can be present and can get involved with the conversation that might come from the interview. There might be further questions or something like that. So I'm going to try and be online for at least one of my sessions, 1am and 9am. Which one do you think I will be present at? Well, I'm often awake at 1am, but I think it's more likely that I will be there for the 9am session, 9am Australian Eastern Standard Time. I won't try and do all the maths to convert that to other time zones. I do know that there are lots of time zones. I have been discussing time zones with the people who want to join me for my unschooling Zoom meetups. Oh my, it is difficult to find a time that suits everybody. But maybe one of those times, 1am or 9am Australian Eastern Standard Time will suit you. Probably the 1am one will suit most people. But I shall probably be in bed at that time. So that's the Homeschooling Global Summit. Of course, I'm not the only person being interviewed. I'm just one of 80 or more people who were gathered together for the summit. There is plenty of interviews to watch. There are some that are more interesting to me than others. I've just been dipping into them. Watching them is really easy. All you have to do, as I said, I think, is click onto the link on the Homeschooling Global Summit website and then fill in your first name and email address and you will be given a link, your own private link to the interview that you want to watch. And as I discovered, there's no way to pause the interview. But if you close the window, you can use your private link to access the interview at another time and it will resume at the point that you left it. And that's really handy to know because for the first couple of interviews, I sat there and watched them from start to finish. And there were a couple of other things that I wanted to do. It would have been more convenient to have watched the interviews in two sessions. So that's the Homeschooling Global Summit. I'm sitting here in my walk-in robe or my closet. It is a cold winter's day. At least it feels cold to me. I am sitting here shivering. I had to pull myself away from the heater to come into my bedroom to record this podcast. That's another reason I hope that it will record properly. And I hope that I'm not wasting my time. I could tell you a few of the things that I've been learning about this week. I used to tell you what my children were learning about. But these days it seems like 
I spend a lot of time unschooling on my own. My girls are often out and I'm home with the dogs and I'm thinking, what shall I do today? What learning shall I do? I spend quite a bit of time working on my community, our stories of an unschooling family community. I answer questions there, get involved with conversations, post useful links and resources, and we have a few regular features that I prepare for as well, such as the unschooling challenges. This week's unschooling challenge was one for the parents. I suggested that we all put together an adult strewing basket. Put some things in a basket and keep it near us. Things that interest us, books that we want to read, notebooks for our ideas, knitting, sewing, a snack maybe, all kinds of things that will tempt us to use our free moments uh, to do things that we enjoy, to continue our learning. Because sometimes we think about reading books or we think, I would love to finish my embroidery. But in our free moments, either we forget or we haven't got the book on hand or we didn't go looking for our embroidery and the free moment passes and we don't actually do what we want to do. So a strewing basket is one way to keep our interests close by where we can see them so that if our kids are busy and we have half an hour free for ourselves, we can dive into our basket, see what's there, see what we would like to do. So I created that post, but I also created a video to go with the post. I made the video on Powtoon. It's a website that's for making animated videos. A lot of companies use it for promoting their companies and their products. Education people use it for teaching purposes and I use it to have fun and sometimes to promote unschooling in a different way. And that's what I did. I just made a video that was less than a minute and a half, I think, had some animations in it, some words, and it was called something like, what's in your strewing basket? And I had a basket and then some of the things that you might put into your basket, like books and notebooks and headphones. And hopefully I made the video look attractive and a bit of fun to watch. I added music to the video, so if you watch it, turn on the sound. The video is so much more effective with the music. You can find that video on YouTube and also in my community. I should also put it on my blog. Maybe I will add it to the blog post that I'm going to write to go with this podcast. Another thing that I've been doing is turning my books, especially Radical Unschool Love, into graphics. I might have mentioned this before. For each of the sections of Radical Unschool Love, I am making a graphic containing the main ideas in that section. And I've been having a lot of fun doing this, learning new techniques, looking at fonts, I found some Adobe font packs the other day and I got very excited. Yes, they've put together some packs with fonts, I imagine, that work well together. Some unusual fonts that I haven't seen before. 
And because we have an Adobe account, I was able to download all the fonts that I wanted and I'm using them for my projects. But I've also been learning how to use InDesign. I have just returned to my mic after the doorbell rang. There was the postman with a couple of parcels, including one for me. I haven't opened it yet, but I'm just saying that because I'm hoping that this part of the recording will match the first part. I don't want to start all over again. So I was talking about InDesign, Adobe InDesign. It's a step up from Adobe Spark for doing things like making graphics, for laying out books, making flyers. At first I thought I haven't got time to learn a new program. It's amazing how busy I am, considering my girls are just about grown up. My youngest daughter, Gemma Rose, is 16. So she's not grown up, but almost. But yes, I do have a lot of free time these days, but I seem to fill it really easily. I know that a lot of my time is spent on household things, keeping things going around here so that everybody else can work. But I have so many interesting things that I want to do and learn about. So back to InDesign. I decided that, yes, I wanted to learn how to use this program. So I went over to Skillshare to find a class about Adobe InDesign. And I have worked my way through quite a few of the lessons. So that's what I've been learning about recently. Graphic design, how to use InDesign, how to import new fonts. And I've just been having fun with it all. I have discovered a new interest. Yes, I've been getting a lot of pleasure out of doing this. I think that's because I have a yearning to be an artist, but I can't draw. So I'm playing around with fonts and layouts and color, color palettes and icons and all that really does satisfy something artistic within me. It's within my capabilities. I don't have to look at my terrible drawings and feel dissatisfied. I can look at my graphics and think, wow, that looks like a graphic. Of course, there's graphics and there's graphics. I think my skills will improve the more I make graphics and I'll probably look at the first ones and think, that doesn't look very attractive. I could have done that a whole lot better. But it's fun. So I think that's all I want to tell you in the news section of this podcast. I think I have spoken for quite a long time without actually getting onto the topic of the day. So, on to the next section the stories. Now, the story that I have chosen from Curious and Schoolers today from the How Children Learn section is called. Is it really okay if kids play all day? I hope this story will give you some ideas and the confidence to let kids play as long as they want to, because play is the way that kids learn. I might have a few more comments once I have read the story. So here's the story. Is it really okay if kids play all day? Parents value play when children are very young. 
but should older kids still be allowed to play as much as they would like? When children reach an age when they could go to school, play is often pushed to one side. It no longer holds the centre position in kids' lives. It's now time for more serious things, like learning about maths and how to read. Parents may no longer feel happy letting their children play all day. And perhaps, even if they are willing to let them continue playing, they are still a little worried. Maybe they keep pushing certain thoughts to the backs of their minds. Are my children really doing anything of value? Are they learning? Should I direct them to more structured learning experiences? Perhaps children should do a few of the more important things first and then play afterwards. Do some reading, manipulate a few numbers and then be allowed to go and play. Or perhaps play should come first. It's something of great value. When kids play, they get an opportunity to let off steam. Play, especially the physical kind, relieves stress. It helps develop the imagination and creative thinking. While playing, kids try and make sense of the world by exploring different ideas and situations. Sometimes play can be a safe way to explore ideas that might be a bit scary. Children discover interests and passions through their play. They try things out to see if they want to go further with them. One day, they might start to follow those interests and passions differently. Perhaps they'll read books, explore websites, watch videos, and make things associated with their play. Play may eventually develop into something that looks a lot like what most people would call education. I think we'd be very surprised if we could see all the positive things that result from our children's play. I once spoke to my young adult daughter, Imogen, about play. She told me that play is a very important part of her life. Playing helped develop her imagination and creative thinking skills. It still does. The games she used to play when she was a child influenced her writing, music and all the other things she is passionate about. When my children were younger, they had lots and lots of free time to play. Most days at morning tea time, all my girls would disappear out the back door with mugs of hot chocolate in their hands, chatting about the game they intended to play together. Hours later, Distracted by hunger, someone would return to the house for food supplies. Then, after munching sandwiches, they'd continue their game until dark. Sometimes I used to wonder if I should be more involved in my children's days. Was it really okay if I didn't see them from one end of the day to the next? But looking back, I can see that having space to play away from any adult influence was just what my children needed. Kids don't need us hanging over them, making suggestions, judging their games, or trying to direct them in a certain way. My children often talk about their childhood games. Imogen says, Do you remember that baby bath we had, Mum? 
Do you remember how we all used to climb inside? We'd try and push it over the ground using sticks. It was our boat. Yes, we had a baby bath, but we never used it for the purpose it was designed for. The bath was a prop for imaginative play. Some days it was a pirate ship. Other days it was something completely different. In case you're wondering, I used to bath the baby in the laundry sink. Do you remember the big tricycle we had? The one with the seat at the back? Asks Imogen. She once told this story as a blog post. We used to live in a house with a steep hill on one side of it. The hill swooped down, 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 before curving around the back of the house and around a tree. It was a perfect hill for a billy cart. Not that we had a billy cart, but what we did have was a tricycle. It was yellow and green and had two seats, and it was the perfect vehicle for flying down the hill on. Two girls would sit on the seats, the smallest girls, of course, because the seats were the safest position. And we two older girls hung one on each side. Up to the top of that very steep hill, we pushed that tricycle. At the very top, we'd stop and arrange ourselves. Then, one, two, three, we pushed ourselves off the top of the hill and went flying down the side. Faster and faster the tricycle went, faster and faster, and all the time we shrieked and shouted with glee. And faster and faster the tree at the bottom of the hill came closer. Would we make it this time? Would we get around the curve without spilling over or hitting the tree? Most often not. But sometimes, just sometimes, we'd go swooping around that corner and sail on down the garden. Finally, we'd coast to a stop, unclench white-knuckled fingers and push the tricycle back up to the top. Over and over again, we flew down that hill. Until at last, one day, four girls were just too many and the front half of the tricycle parted ways with the back half, ending our fun on the hill. I suppose the tricycle game was a bit risky. The bike wasn't designed for four children. The girls used to fall off. A serious accident could have happened. But even though I knew I might have to deal with scratches and cuts and bruises and broken bones, I still let my kids play their rather wild game. We have to let our kids be daring and risk a few spills and thrills. They have to test their boundaries learn what their bodies are capable of and how to control them. Be adventurous. If children don't do all this, they could grow into the kind of people who will always choose the safe path, too afraid to do anything. Or they might go in the opposite direction and deliberately head out into extreme danger to fulfil the need that was denied them as children. Play has had a tremendous effect on my children's lives. It has taught them a lot. It has helped turn them into creative and imaginative people. But even if play hadn't influenced their learning in these positive ways, 
I would still have done things the same way. I am glad I let my kids play for hours and hours just because of the happiness it gave them. Whenever my children share stories of their play, their eyes light up. Joy flows from them as they remember. The older ones tell me that they had a fantastic childhood. The younger two are still experiencing happy childhood days. And isn't that what we want to give our children? We want them to grow up and then look back and say, I really enjoyed being a child. My childhood was wonderful. I could have turned my children away from play, thinking that there were more important things for them to be doing. Serious things like academic studies, additional classes and structured camps during holiday breaks. I could have filled up my children's time with what most people call important activities. I might have put lots of pressure on them, hoping that one day all that activity would lead to an excellent education and eventually a good career. But I could never have deprived my kids of their free playtime. Why not? Because before children become adults, they have to be children. They have a right to enjoy their childhoods and should be allowed to play. That's what children are designed for. That's how they learn. That's what they need to do. Is it really okay if children play all day? I know some people might disagree if I voice my opinion, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yes. Yes, my children used to go out the door sometimes into the garden and not return for hours and hours. They played fantastic games. I'm sure they were learning all the time, but... That's not the point, I don't think. I think children should be allowed to play. Sometimes when we're talking, we will reminisce about those play days. Those long days when my kids would head out and play Little House on the Prairie, or pirate ships, or cubby houses. They had lots of different games they played. And as I said in that story, their eyes light up as they're talking about their childhoods. And I know deep within my heart that I did the right thing. I guess that even if we know it's the right thing, we can still feel guilty letting our kids go out into the garden and play for hours at a time because we're not involved. We might think we should be involved. But there does come a stage where our kids come inside and want our help with various things. Hey mum, can you help me find out some more information about the prairie or whatever it is that they're interested in? Play brings up lots of questions and kids often want to come back and find out more. There's just one more sentence that I would like to talk about. I could have filled up my children's time with what most people call important activities. I might have put lots of pressure on them, hoping that one day all that activity would lead to an excellent education and eventually a good career. Well, it was two sentences, but they went together. 
Yes, I think sometimes parents are tempted to do things for the future. They might not let their kids play now because they think that it will pay off in the future. Something fantastic will happen for their kids in the future. Their kids will turn around and say, hey, mom, I'm glad we did all that academic work or those extra activities or whatever it is, because now I have a great job. I'm set for the future. I haven't actually heard any children say that, but I guess that's the idea we have in our minds. We will do things that don't seem particularly good now, hoping they'll pay off, yes, in the future. But what if they don't pay off? What if we risk our children's happy childhoods and all our ideas come to nothing? Maybe our kids won't want those safe and secure jobs. Maybe if we gave them a happy childhood, other ideas will come out of that. Creative ideas, ideas associated with the things they are playing or experimenting with because we have no idea where our children will be in the future. Yes, we have our own ideas, but is there any certainty that our ideas are the right ones, that our vision is the right one? So often I hear parents say, parents have experience, they can see the bigger picture. Yes, we have experience about our own lives, and yes, we can help our children, but we can't really see the bigger picture for our children. Their futures might not be as we imagine. So looking back, I'm glad I didn't risk those happy days. All my kids have got the skills that they need right now. And also, they had all those days playing. I think the play and their skills and their confidence and all the other good things are connected. But even if they weren't, kids need to play. So that's a few thoughts about my story. If you have any thoughts of your own on that story that you would like to share, I would love to hear them. You could hop over to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, and leave a comment. I do like continuing the conversations that these podcasts begin. Now, my second story is called How Ticking Off Boxes Can Be a Waste of Time. And I wrote it in October 2019. Maybe everybody knows about ticking off boxes. It's something that many of us do. It's also something that many of us think we should do. But I should get on with the story and then make a few comments. How ticking off boxes can be a waste of time. Do you ever tick off boxes when we have a lot of things to do? Making a list and then ticking off the items as we complete them can be very helpful. It feels satisfying to see the ticks appearing, doesn't it? Yes, ticking off boxes is good. Well, it usually is. It just depends on what's on our lists. Years ago, I used to have long lists of things I wanted my kids to do. Complete maths problems, memorize spelling words, learn grammar rules. Then there was the school syllabus that they were expected to follow. Had my kids done everything required by the education department, could I tick off 
a few boxes. I used to tick things off knowing deep down that although my kids had done what was required, they hadn't really learnt anything. They had gone through the motions of learning but had retained very little. Because of a lack of interest or need, they'd not really engaged with the work. As soon as they'd completed the maths problems, done the spelling test, and filled out the pages of the grammar workbook, my kids would promptly forget everything they'd learnt. For a while, I ignored the fact that my ticks didn't mean anything. I liked my ticks. They looked good. They showed me and the education department that my kids had done the required work. That was important. That was enough. Or was it? While I persisted in making my kids do things that didn't result in learning, I was wasting their time and mine. We could have been doing something else, something much more interesting and relevant. But it seemed difficult to let go of those ticks. Why? Maybe because those ticks represented other people's expectations. It's true that doing what we're told can sometimes be frustrating, but it's also safe. We don't have to trust ourselves or our kids. Going our own way requires courage. Even though we might like to do something else, it seems easier to stay with the crowd. Even if we end up battling with our kids, we might resist doing something different. Battling. Yes, our children might protest about having to do things just so that we can tick them off our list. Our children know when we're wasting their time. Why do I have to learn this? They know that our answers don't make any sense. Because I said so. Because I'm the parent and you're the child. Because you never know when you might need to know that. Do we really think we know our kids and their needs better than them? More importantly, our children are aware that we can't make them learn anything they're not interested in. Learning is like food. We can't force either into a child. Unless, of course, we're willing to bribe, punish or shame our kids. But if we have to use those motivators to make them learn, is that real learning? And is it right to use such tactics? When my daughter Gemma Rose was eight, she said, You can't make me learn anything I don't want to learn. She didn't say those words because I was trying to force her to learn. No, she'd just been doing some thinking. Kids are surprising. They think deeply. They know what they're interested in. They know what they need. Our children don't need to complete tasks just so we can tick off items on our lists. Of course, I've done lots of ticking for homeschool registration purposes. For example, I've ticked off the required outcomes for the New South Wales school syllabus. But I have always been able to do that without making my kids learn things that they don't want to know about. Many times they've learned what's expected as a result of following their passions. They're curious people. They choose to take an interest in the world. They don't need someone else's plan in order to get a fantastic education. Yes, our kids know their own needs better than we do. As I said earlier in this episode, 
we think we know best because we have more experience, we're older, we've been around longer. But we're not our kids. We can't see inside them. We don't know their passions and interests like they do. We don't know the things that excite them. I mean, we know something about them if we listen carefully, if we ask questions, but we don't really know exactly how they're feeling inside. They will only share a certain amount. I know this because of my own experiences. I tell people a lot of things. Depending on who the person is, I will share a lot about myself and what excites me and my worries and my concerns and the things that make me feel good, whatever it is. But there are lots of things that I keep to myself. We never share all of ourselves with other people. So we don't know what it's like to be our children. Children think deeply. My children are always surprising me with their thoughts. As I said in that story, Gemma Rose one day had this thought that nobody could force her to learn anything that she is not interested in. She has always been unschooled, so it had nothing to do with her own experience. So I guess she was looking around at other people and thinking about things. She obviously picks up a lot of things that I talk about, things that I write about on my blog. And one day she had been thinking about forcing kids to learn. And she had worked out for herself that I can't do that, even if I wanted to. I can't force her to learn things that she doesn't want to know about. Learning isn't passive. We don't stuff knowledge into our kids. They have to give their consent to learn. It's an active activity. Saying that it looks like there are lots of children in the world learning about all kinds of things that don't interest them at all. I was one of those children at school. I had to learn a lot of things which didn't excite me. And I learned them because I was forced to, because if I didn't learn them, I would have been ashamed of my report card, for example, or I would have been ashamed of my test result. I would have worried about my parents' reaction to failing an exam, for example. There were also the bribes. We had gold star charts when I was at primary school. Who could collect the most gold stars during the week? Who would get the prize at the end of the week? I often got the prize. I responded to bribes and rewards. But long term, that kind of learning isn't real learning. If we haven't got some kind of interest or we don't see some kind of need for the knowledge, we're going to let go of it. That's what I did with my university education. Yes, I don't remember much about what I learned at uni at all. Odd things come to mind. And I have a general idea about botany, which is what I studied. And when I read something online that's to do with botany, I think, oh yeah, I remember learning about that, even though I don't recall all the facts. But I never used any of that knowledge. And it wasn't useful to me. So if anybody said to me, Sue, you did a botany degree. Can you teach my children botany? I would say... Well, I could try, but I would have to learn alongside your children at the same time. 
because it's not in my head anymore. I really should have studied writing because that's what I do all the time. And it's one of the things that I try and increase my knowledge of. I read writing books, I keep a notebook, I write blog posts, I'm writing novels. Yes, writing was my real passion. Somehow I got sidetracked onto science. Somebody else's big picture, somebody else's big idea, but it wasn't the right one for me. My teachers didn't listen. Actually, they didn't even ask me what I was interested in. Nobody sat down and said, what excites you, Sue? Probably I wouldn't have been able to give them an answer because I didn't have time really to explore my passions and interests. School kept me so busy and then after school I was doing my homework. But I do remember when I was a child I had a grocery box, a cardboard box that I kept in the bottom of my wardrobe and it was full of scraps of paper my half-completed stories, because I'd watch programs like The Brady Bunch, and then I would think, oh, I wish that I could write a story about a family with lots of children, and I would start a story, but never finish. And then I had a lot of princess stories. Yes, I was captivated by fairy tales and other stories that I read as a child and I wanted to go and try writing that type of story myself. But somehow that cardboard box of papers got thrown out and I got even more busy as I got older and writing as a passion got buried. But I have moved away from the story how ticking off boxes can be a waste of time. One last point, I think we know when we're wasting our time. Deep down inside of us, we don't want to acknowledge that what we're doing is a waste of time because that will mean that we have to find something else. We have to find another way of doing things. How can we satisfy homeschool registration requirements, for example, without making our kids do things so that we can tick off a few boxes? How can we get over our own fears of our children not doing particular things because we want to tick those boxes off, the spelling tests, the grammar rules, the maths facts, even if we don't have a paper or a digital document with uh, those things written down that we can physically tick off, we mentally tick them off. My child has learnt their maths facts. Good. Mentally tick that off. We can move on. Yes, we want to tick things off to show that our kids are progressing in the way that everybody else, and maybe ourselves as well, think they should. But of course, kids are all different. And if we don't send our kids to school, why do things that way? Why worry about ticking off boxes? Because while we're ticking off boxes, what are we missing out on? We could be doing some other more relevant and fascinating and interesting things with our kids or they could be doing them by themselves. So that's my two stories about how children learn.
Looking ahead, next week's section in Curious Unschoolers is called Encouragement. How we can encourage our kids. I guess we would also like to be encouraged ourselves. And if you are in need of some encouragement, some encouragement as you are living your unschooling life, why not join my unschooling community, Stories of an Unschooling Family. You don't need to be unschooling. You can join even if you're just investigating. You don't have to be unschooling properly. And it's okay if you are a long-term unschooler who doesn't really need any information. Anybody is welcome to join my community because we can all help encourage and support each other by sharing our experiences and sharing what we have learned along the way. The more experienced members of our community can share their experiences, which might be helpful for anybody just about to set out on their unschooling adventure. So that's stories and that's my community. We are meeting up again for another Zoom meetup. We are meeting up on the second Friday of July. That's Australian Eastern Standard Time. For many people that might be Thursday. If you would like to join me for a Zoom meetup, I organise those through my community. If you are a member, watch out for a post about the Zoom meetup. If you're not a member but would like to become one, as I said earlier, yes, come and join us. We're a friendly bunch of people. We're very accepting and we're very encouraging. One thing I forgot to mention, I think, about the Homeschooling Global Summit, if you don't see my interview at the scheduled times, it's not too late. The interview will be available afterwards. You can access it after the sessions have gone live at any time. The only thing about joining the interview later is that we won't be there to answer questions or to chat about what I spoke about. But there is still a chat box and if you have any questions or comments that you would like to make, uh, yes, just type them into the chat box. They will be given to me later and I will do my best to answer them. I will put together some show notes as usual with links to anything that I've spoken about today. If you would like to go to my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, and leave a comment, that would make me very happy. If you would like to share the link to this podcast, that would make me happy as well. And a review. I haven't mentioned reviews for a long time. You can find my books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love, on Amazon as print and Kindle ebooks. And I think that's all that I have to share with you today. So I hope that you're all keeping safe. Some parts of the world are still locked down because of the pandemic. We've got it pretty easy here at the moment in New South Wales. Although there has been some rise in the COVID-19 activity in parts of Victoria. But mostly we're going about our lives as normal. Just a few things that we have to deal with. Such as the number of people that can sit down in a cafe. And the number of people that can go to mass for example. 
but things here are much better than in other parts of the world. We don't have to wear masks. We are free to do most things that we want to do. Each month, the restrictions ease a little bit more. So that's it. This is the end of episode 176. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, live a radical life of unconditional love.